Well, it it has taken us three weeks to get through a rather challenging passage of Scripture in our study of the Gospel of Mark. In fact, one commentator calls it the most obscure passage in Mark's Gospel. You may remember it actually started with Jesus giving His second passion prediction in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. Uh, surprise, surprise, the disciples didn't understand what he was saying, so they did the next best thing. They began arguing about which one of them was greatest, and that that set the course for the rest of the chapter. You see, Jesus gives three passion predictions, one right after the other, eight, nine, and ten, after which the disciples say or do something really stupid, which launches Jesus into some teaching. We're in the midst of that teaching. Jesus began by they're talking about greatness, so he began by teaching about true greatness in the kingdom. You remember he started by saying, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And that would have been a bit shocking, but even our world today understands something about serving being admirable. It was 10 years ago that CNN launched their top 10 heroes where they identify people serving around the world, calling them, I think rightly, heroes, encouraging their service and even raising money for their causes. Each year, the public votes, and tonight, I actually took that screenshot yesterday, but tonight, um, uh, they, reveal, they will reveal their top hero of 2016. You know, the servant of all will get to be the first of all. Uh, this, this year's groups, so there are 10 of them, but it includes, just by way of sample, a, a nonprofit in Colombia, South America, that helps kids with disabilities reach their full potential. Another in Montana, helping kids with cancer to learn to kayak. And uh, yes, another in California, of course, helping senior dogs find homes. <laughs> no, I don't know why that made it to the top 10. <laughs> I like dogs, okay, but I'm not sure that one actually fits. But you may remember Boone's own wine to water made it to the top 10, I think it was the very first year of CNN's um, Heroes. So wine to Water is a nonprofit here in, in town that, that helps provide clean drinking water, wells and the like, uh, around the world in much needed places. Now, I suppose one of the reasons the world recognizes service as heroic is because there are great needs out there and so few who sacrifice to meet them. But Jesus says this meeting needs, this serving and being last of all is to be characteristic of my followers. Nothing particularly heroic. It's, it's just who we are. I mean, in fact, if you look through church history, you will find that the church, despite the rap that the church gets today, the church has pioneered taking care of Well, the least of these, establishing hospitals and orphanages and and schools around the world, all in the name of Christ. Uh, Jesus even took a child as an object lesson and, and said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. In context, the child represents the least important in the kingdom, at least as we count greatness. Jesus is actually teaching us that, that everyone in his kingdom is important and, and, and to be received. In, in, in fact, the very people that we would by nature honor are not necessarily on his list of greatness, and the people that we may not 
even give a second glance, may be the one he esteems because we've been finding that greatness is not necessarily determined by what we do, but by who we are, not, not the positions we hold, the power we wield, the status we enjoy, the recognition that we receive. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? Well, probably not the ones most would think. By his object lesson, you see, Jesus is teaching that greatness is found in humility and brokenness and dependence. So stop and think about that for just a moment. I would suggest that that is the, the difference in how Jesus and CNN count greatness. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I think it's great to recognize such servants. It's a wonderful thing that they're doing, a great program. But, but Jesus would say it's those children with disabilities, those with challenging diseases, those humble, broken, dependent people who know me who are actually the great ones. They deserve the accolades, and, and, and therefore receiving them, the least of these, that's true greatness. Well, again, they're on their way to Jerusalem. Time is short. Jesus has begun clearly telling them in Caesarea Philippi, he must go to Jerusalem, suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders, be killed, but he would be raised again the third day. It's the second prediction on the way to Jerusalem. They stop at Capernaum one last time, and uh, on the way there, after this second passion prediction, an argument broke out between the disciples, quarreling as to which one of them was the greatest. (laughs) Jesus asked them, what were you fighting about along the way? And after a moment of embarrassed silence, Jesus gathered up a child in his arms and said, the one who receives this child in my name is great. So I would suggest if those CNN heroes are doing what they are doing in Jesus' name, receiving little ones in Jesus' name. That's great. Heroes. Jesus mentioned receiving little ones in his name. It seemed to spark John's memory. We talked about this last week. We we don't know if this had just happened or if it was sometime earlier, but John says, teacher, we, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, but He wasn't following us, so we told him to stop. Now, Mark talks a lot about following, but it's always following Jesus. But for John and the rest, well, they're concerned uh, that someone is not following us. John's concern seems to be still his inflated singular self-importance. That's the context. That's why Mark puts it here. Who's the greatest? Well, obviously, it's got to be one of us, not this guy. Don't even know his name. We told him to stop. Which Jesus responded, don't, don't do that. Don't hinder them. The one who is not against us, he's for us. Only one, only one thing matters. Do they carry the name of Christ? This unnamed exorcist, he was doing what he was doing in my name. That's just what matters. Are, are they Christ's followers? Not are, they, not are they part of our little band? Are they part of our exclusive little group? If they name Jesus then what they are doing in my name, that's good. It doesn't matter how big or, or how small. Even giving a cup of water to someone who bears my name will not go unnoticed. It will be rewarded. So it doesn't matter. Alliance, it doesn't matter. If your service is big and seen up front and seen by everybody, like casting out demons or little and overlooked, like serving little ones a cup of water or animal crackers in Little Alliance, it will be Noticed and rewarded. 
all that brings us to our text this morning. You may remember last week I suggested that Mark took several teachings of Jesus and kind of strung them together in a rather meandering path of loosely connected words. It, it goes something like this, who's the greatest? Those who, who serve little children in my name. We saw someone casting out demons in your name. We told him to stop. Jesus says, don't do that. Even if you give a cup of water in my name, you won't lose your reward. But conversely, this morning, if you cause a little one to stumble big trouble. And while we're talking about stumbling, if there's something in your life that's causing you to stumble, cut it out, cut it out, cut it off. Better to go to heaven maimed than into hell and in one piece. And while we're talking about fire, you understand this, everyone is going to be salted with fire. And while we're talking about salt, I want you to be, I want you to be salty people. It's a bit confusing, but I want you to understand that all of this has to do with life is Disciples of Christ, this is how we live. This is, this is what we look like. We, don't worry about who's greatest. You serve. You be last. Don't worry about others serving. If they're doing it in my name, that's great. In fact, you serve them, even the least of them. And, and by the way, serve them. But don't, don't you dare cause them to stumble. Don't cause yourself to stumble either. I want you to be a pure people. That's what he says. Look at the text with me. Mark chapter 9, verse 42, to the end of the chapter says this. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe to stumble, it would be better for him if, with a heavy millstone hung around his neck, he had been cast into the sea. Matthew says, into the deepest sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Better for you to enter life crippled than having two hands go into hell and do the unquenchable fire. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet than to be cast into hell. Where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. So salt's good, but if the salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? So have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Isn't this a really nice passage for the third Sunday of Advent? <laughs> We're going to follow this outline. First, having com commanded us to receive little ones in his name, Jesus warns against causing little ones to stumble. Don't do that. And then we'll look at taking steps necessary to keep yourself from, from stumbling. And then we'll close with some encouragement. Actually, salt and fire is supposed to be encouraging. Now remember, little ones is not speaking only of children, but is speaking of the less than important, the least of these believers in the kingdom. That, that no-name exorcist, for example. Now, now when Jesus says to receive little ones in my name. The word receive, we haven't really talked about that. It means just that, to, to accept them, to receive them, to welcome them warmly, to take pleasure in them, to show them hospitality, to give them warm consideration. So we could say whoever receives or welcome or accepts a believer, don't miss that, a believer in my name receives me. Conversely, then, to not receive them is to cause them 
to stumble. Now, your translation may have it, whoever causes one of these little ones to sin. I think the NIV, and surprisingly, the ESV has it that way. The word is not sin. I think it includes sin, but the word is stumble. So, so, so how do we cause little ones to stumble in the context to not receive them? And thereby do ir- perhaps irreparable damage to their faith or dis- discourage them or maybe even destroy the faith of a fellow believer, a brother or sister, to perhaps even cause them to fall away from following Christ. You see, this is why Jesus has some really strong words to say. And so, let's go back to this idea of receiving. Jesus is saying, receive such a child like this because they carry my name. They're members of the family. That's enough. They don't need any other credentials. They don't need any other initiation. They don't need to jump through any of your performance hoops. They need to look like you. They need to sound like you. They don't need to speak like you. They, they, don't need to, they just need to know me. It is enough that they come in my name, that they carry my name. That is enough. Receive them. And in so doing, you receive me. Let's make this receiving practical for our gathering this morning and for our relationships together in the body of Christ, especially in this local body that we call Alliance. Suppose, just pick this name out of the hat, suppose Tim Tebow and the thief on the cross or another Comparable sinner turned saint walked into the back of the auditorium this morning. Which one do you suppose would be received more warmly, more hospitably, more excitedly? I know you know the answer. But which one would be? I'm talking Tim. Good looking. Ripped. I know you ladies are thinking that, so I thought I'd just say it. I have no problem with Tim. Like Tim. Tim used to play for the Denver Broncos, who are the reigning national champions. Just thought I'd throw that in. But in comes a broken person of society. This one who is not as well known as Tim. In fact, he comes in with really nothing to offer. He is nothing. Have nothing. Not been used greatly in the kingdom, at least by our estimation. Don't bring a lot to the table. They're just a broken sinner saved by grace. Who excites you more? So, let's identify some people who may come in those doors. Shall we? Recovering alcoholics. Yep, we have those. Drug addicts. Have those too. People struggling in their marriages. Check. Uh, Divorced people. Yep. You may not know this. Homeless people. Yep. Sick. Poor people. Needy 
people abused. Ex-cons, check, check, check. People struggling with same-sex attraction, check. People who chose an abortion clinic rather than the hopes that, check. Pierced, tattooed, shabby people, shaggy people. Whoever it is that would, not, would never make your list of great people from whom most Christians turn. Check. People have never been on anybody's who's who list. People who have tried to find life in things that could never give life, and now they walk with a limp. And in their misery, they came to faith in Christ. Hallelujah. Isn't that great? <laughs> but their lives are still a wreck. They still struggle, still carry the scars. What do we do with those kinds of people? What do we do with them when they show up here? Do they feel welcomed? Special guest, extra care required. Some years ago, we were studying the Gospel of Matthew over 10 years ago, and I challenged us at that time to be a hospital. Some of you remember that. A place where broken people can come and find grace and healing and forgiveness. Here's my question. How are we doing? Do societies broken come here? Are they drawn here? If one of those people I just mentioned came through those doors, would they be received? You have to understand, doing kingdom work is messy. It's not easy. Let's... Let's face it, people can be emotionally draining. They can be high maintenance. i got enough to deal with. I don't have time for them. What's the criteria that you use? i got a list for you. What can they bring to the table? If I give to them, what could they possibly have that I would want in return? I wonder how much they'll tithe. Looks like a lot of work to me. I would never choose to be friends with them out there. They're emotionally draining. They don't look so good. I would never show up like that to church. They probably, truth is, they probably won't give. That's probably why they came. They need money. Teach a class? What do they have? What do they have that's worth hearing? James described the problem very clearly for us. A man comes into your assembly, coming to church, with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing fine clothes, and you say, you sit here in a good place right next to me, and and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool, condescendingly so. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, the type of discrimination that James discusses is related to socioeconomic status of people who are, but please notice they're actually attending the meetings of the church. Jesus is, is talking about something much more basic. They're just, they're just broken, humble, dependent people coming in the doors. And notice James said these people were coming into your assembly, into the church, and, and, and there were two kinds of people, 
The first were obviously the well-to-do in our context. They might be the ones driving up in very nice cars, wearing expensive clothes and fine jewelry. And after a little conversation, we find out that they have the kinds of job that obviously bring a comfortable income. In the story, as James tells it, the discrimination is overt. As readers show the rich special attention, give them a good seat, perhaps a place of honor, introduce them in church. <laughs> They're received, you see. Today, we might not be as overt. It might look more like this. We might be careful to spend a little extra time with them, maybe ask them to sit with us, maybe even invite them out to lunch. Second person to come in is the poor man, the man shabbily dressed, and rather than the special treatment, do a brother. That's what we're talking about. He's made to sit on the floor, stand in the back, out of the way. For our purposes, maybe he has ripped jeans and a teeth. That won't work. People pay a lot of money for ripped jeans now. It's obvious from the smoking clunker he drove into the parking lot, or perhaps he didn't even drive in. He walked in. Not a man of great material means. In fact, after we carry on a brief, very disinterested conversation, we find his occupation beneath us, or (laughs) we find out he's unemployed. And in an air of dismissal, make our way to our seat, leaving him to find his own. And Jesus' words come ringing through, whoever receives one such child receives me. Jesus is passionately committed to one such child. Let me be clear. Jesus is not talking about unbelievers. He's not talking about salvation. He's talking about sheep who are not received as they should be, one child that we don't receive hospitably, that we don't warmly welcome, Jesus loves them even if we don't. This, I think, illustrates what it is to receive and not receive little ones. Let's look quickly at the rest of the text. We finally get to verse 42 to see how important this is to Jesus and how serious he takes this issue. Keeping it in its context, Jesus says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, meaning in context, we don't receive them. We consider them unimportant, beneath us, unimpressive, unworthy of our time and attention. Jesus says, lose your standards of greatness. Lose your grading systems. Don't you dare cause one of my little children to stumble because the world does not think them great. It would be better. In advance, before this terrible atrocity, this evil is committed, before he causes this little one to stumble, it would be better for him to die a horrible and sure death. Better to tie a millstone around his neck and cast him into the depths of the sea. Heavy millstone is not the little thing that the women used in the, in the home. It was a great, it was a huge millstone turned by animals or usually donkeys that weighed up to a couple of tons. Again, Matthew says into the depths of the sea, which was way out there, into the murky, cold, dark depths. You think that Jesus is serious about this? You bet he is. He loves his children. He says, whoever causes one of you, uh, one of them to stumble is in big trouble. It would be better that you died. A horrible death. 
one commentary I have says that Jews thought of drowning as a particularly horrible death. I'm not a Jew. I think of drowning as a particularly horrible death. Don't do it. I love them. Not only that, point two, I don't even want you to do anything that would cause you to stumble because I love you too. It would be better for you to cut off your own foot, your own hand, better for you to pluck out your own eye if they are a source of stumbling to you. Get rid of it. These three body parts pretty much cover the gamut. Whatever you do with your hand, wherever you go with your feet, whatever you see with your eyes, must be consistent with holiness, with discipleship, with being my followers. If you are doing things or going places or seeing things which cause you to stumble, to sin, or to tempt you to wander from the faith, do whatever is necessary to cut it off. This is serious. Discipleship is serious. I love you. Take care of this situation. Of course, Jesus is not speaking literally. Most agree he is speaking in hyperbolic metaphor, but he, he is talking about taking radical measures. Do what, whatever it takes to make sure that you don't stumble. It's better to enter life crippled, maimed, blind than enter hell with your equipment in, in check. The word for hell is the word Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnom. It was... The, the city refuse dumped the southwest side of Jerusalem, right outside the city walls. The, their garbage and animal carcasses and even unclaimed corpses like criminals were dumped. The fire never stopped. You see, it was unquenchable. The worm did not die. Always plenty to eat. It became an apt metaphor for hell, a place of suffering for unbelievers. Now, Again, let me be clear. Jesus is not saying that by our works, what we do, where we go, what we see, we earn our salvation and go to heaven instead of hell. That's not what he's saying. He is saying that true discipleship involves a cost. You're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to act like it. A rabid pursuit of Jesus and holiness. Do whatever is necessary to live holy lives. And the commentaries then went for pages and pages talking about Things that we do with our hands, places we go with our feet, things that we see with our eyes that cause us to sin, cause us to stumble, walk away from the faith. I, I'm, I'm not going to do that this morning. You know what I'm talking about. You say it sounds so severe. It is. Because the way of discipleship is self-sacrificing and purifying this is what verse 49 means, bringing us to the last point in our conclusion. Salt and, and fire, you need to understand, were used in Old Testament sacrifice. Readers would have understood this. Everyone who would be a follower of Jesus will face the sacrifice and purification of fire and salt. You can't follow Jesus and keep following your old ways. You've got to follow him into personal suffering and self-sacrifice. You must be rabid about your pursuit of Christ. This is serious. This is the point he's trying to get across. Finally, Mark adds one more saying of Jesus in this meandering path. Salt, well, it's good it, 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 in both its savor and its preserving qualities, and that's who we're supposed to be as Christians in the world. We get that, right? We are the salt of the earth. But in the context here, 
He's saying be salty with each other. We're supposed to have a savoring and, and preserving influence with each other. If salt becomes unsalty, with what will you make it salty again? So have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Right here in this room. What's it mean? There is to be no place in his kingdom for not receiving one another. For not caring for one another. No place in the church. There's no place in this room for cliques or partisanship or discrimination or competition. Receive one another warmly, hospitably, peaceably. Can, can you imagine what kind of church we would be if we did that with each other? Can you imagine? I know that we do. But I think we can do better. So, can I challenge us as we close this morning to be a church that receives his little ones? (laughs) To be a church, to be a hospital where broken, humble, dependent people, least of these kind of People can come and be received, find grace and healing and forgiveness. Can we, can we do that? And can I do one other thing? If you are one of those broken people and you have come to this church and you have not felt received, you have not been warmly welcomed, you have not been shown hospitality, in fact... You have felt shunned. You have felt rejected. Right now, I want to ask for your forgiveness. I'm sorry that we have not loved you, that we have not accepted you the way that Jesus would. Will you forgive us? Will you allow us to become the church that God wants us to be to you. I encourage you to look around. These are his little ones. It's his family. We're going to spend eternity together. We might as well get used to it. Let's stand for prayer.